We acknowledge the traditional owners of this land, the Turrbal and Yagara people, and their elders past, present and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded and flood media is recorded on stolen land. Hello, Floodcast listeners. Welcome to the number, what number is it? Number 16. That's impressive that someone knows that, Joe. Yeah, yeah. Well, she is the boss of Floodcast. The, I've got a oh good wait. feeling about this one. Number 16. Number 16, it's know. a lucky number. It's yeah. a good birthday to have. Previous 15. Yeah. It doesn't really make sense, though, to have a 16th, but like it would be a big thing in Australia. Sweet 16 and never been kissed. Can we oh. call this flood Should we call it that episode? one? So today we're talking, most of the time, we actually were thinking about how, like, what sort of show we should do next. And we realised... One of us uh, thought maybe we should do another one about the Labor Party, but then we were—we were <laughs> one th- of us. <laughs> one, there will remain unnamed. Um, some genius. <laughs> um, I think his nickname is Brain Genius. Um, anyway, we were talking. We we're like, we actually realised we've never done a show on the Greens. So uh, boo, boo, and we that's an important topic. It is an important topic. A very important part of all of our lives. Also, we have a lot to say. We do. It's very easy. You don't even like need to barely research any of this. No, although having said that, there's been a lot of good research has gone into the show. So Believe us, folks. <laughs> uh, the best research us. has gone into this one. Where there's been a lot of voices coming at me, but who are you? What are your names? Why are you here? Uh, my name is Rob. I'm just a person from around the traps. Um, and the traps? Yeah. yeah the traps. Around the traps. He's, yeah. Um, Not in the traps. <laughs> <laughs> around Dancing around them um, Yeah and I just I guess it doesn't fall into I, I guess I was one of the first people Who said we should do a show on the Greens um, Cancel a few current events um, And so I'm here to help the Help with the analysis Great Yeah, yeah. Robbie's done actual work on this So like he, Yeah Expect to hear lots from Robbie And the rest of us Just kind of chiming in with Probably Career ending takes Career ending <laughs> takes And On that My name is Derek. Derek. Yeah. <laughs> McPhee. <laughs> um, and I have no relationship to any political <laughs> party. I'm Liam and I've been, you know, just around the left in, you know, Brisbane for too long. And the traps. And I've sometimes fallen into the traps. Um, <laughs> like the trots. <laughs> yeah, it's like the trots. But Robbie fell into that trap too. Can- so you didn't just dance around the... The traps, yeah, Robbie. You fell in the traps. You know, where we're coming from. You know, we've tried different things. And we, you know, there's some of us are trying the greens. Oh, you know, I've got an interesting fact about Liam that everyone here knows, but they're probably dear Floodcast listeners don't. The first person he I... He looks so... Co- you, can't, you can't see this because it's the Floodcast. He looks but terrified. But he looks so concerned at yeah, the yeah, moment. Yeah, yeah. What's he going to say? <laughs> <laughs> well, at least this isn't going live to air. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, cut. This is going to go on the uh, cut tapes. <laughs> the, I will leak afterwards. <laughs> but Liam was the first person I ever voted for. In any election, he was the like socialist alliance candidate in Griffith. And I remember going into the booth being like, oh, I'm going to vote for the socialists. And then Liam handed me out a vote card. And I was like, who the fuck is this weirdo? <laughs> this weird guy, and like, yeah. I seriously reconsidered voting for it. But I voted for you anyway. Yeah. And then he I had that up- effect on people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was a whole bamboozle strategy I was going for. <laughs> You're like, how you going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you have your like your cute shirts then? I did. I had shirts. I, you know, the whole thing, and we got a whole one percent of the vote or something. It's amazing, (laughs) and that's something that we should talk about. (laughs) Anyways, I digress. I just sort of interesting facts. Oh, yep. I am Nicole, 
and not in positions in parties which could be affected by this podcast. I mean, you've probably <laughs> highlighted more than the fact that you are just by doing that. Yeah, yeah you just made it weird, Nicole. Uh-oh, cut that out. <laughs> Excellent. All right, so the part, I think part of the reason, there's a couple of reasons we're doing a show on the Greens at the moment. One is that, you know, uh, with the rise of climate politics and climate Republicans become more important, the Greens are sort of emerging front and centre as a political movement. Second, we are all, like, cards on the table, very heavily involved in the Greens project in Queensland. But it's also in the context of an international Greens movement that's really coming to the fore, especially in Europe. The German Greens emerging as the largest left party in Germany. Uh, the Austrian Greens just uh, sort of performed an amazing comeback from 2 or 3% of the vote to about 10 or 11%. Uh, and Greens politics seems to be in somewhat an ascendancy in Europe at the moment, counteracting the rise of the far right. And the climate is like literally breaking down in front of our eyes. So That's right. It makes so sense that we would talk about what a, the strategy about that would actually be. Indeed. So, uh, Robbie, you've done a lot of research on this. Does that sort of sum up why you're interested in doing a Greens show today? Uh, yeah, I guess so. And I think just to be just on those, like the totals, like 10% doesn't sound like that much, but in a proportional representative election in parliament, that's quite significant. So, so in Germany, the Greens, in the German Greens got uh, 20% in their last Euro elections, like this, just this year, um, as the second largest party. So, they, I think they overtook the, S, the Social Democratic Party mm. for the first time. They're currently polling um, a- ahead of everyone in um, for the next national election, including the... Christian Democratic Union, which is like the LNP in Germany. That's um, Angela Merkel's party. Um, and I think the relevance here as well, apart from the stuff that you just said, Max, is that um, I guess there's been recent comments by Richard Di Natale, which have um, sort of him raising the possibility of a similar thing happening here. So the context is so that the German Greens had a, had a vote of 9% in 2017. Mm. Um, and now they're at, you know, sort of 20, 25%. Um, and he said there's a, he's been quoted as saying in various articles that there's a real possibility of this happening in Australia. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that there's a lot of parallels between Australian and German situations. Um, and I think this is where this stuff around um, the, the, the sort of the real opposition comes from um, is this perception that, you know, this is going to happen here. It's also interesting as well because I think to like to talk about this and to talk about it a little bit in like an international context of green parties is because you see a lot of I guess like greens members or you know greens people who are standing as candidates with their Facebook pages every time any greens party around the world you know does well or you know people comment as if it's some sort of like we're broad, all the same we're all the yeah. same we all have yeah. the same politics which is it's definitely more nuanced than that so I think it's good that we're having this conversation and uh, recording it for people to listen to. Yeah, and I guess so. There's like this knee-jerk reaction that if the Greens somewhere do good, then we that that's got to be good, right? We need to support um, it. Even in the UK, where they're trash. Um, yes, which is funny because they like immediately after the student protests, the Millbank stuff in the UK, which was a protest against the rise in student fees, there was an enormous influx, sort of pre-Corbynite influx of leftists. The Green Surge. Uh, yeah, the Green Surge into the Greens Party thinking it was... That was like 2014 or something. Yeah, right? 2013, yeah. 2014, yeah. thinking it was this mass going to be the vehicle for radical politics in the UK, but prior to the rise of Corbyn, who ended up sort of peeling away most of those people. But this is like quite... Like, 
indicative because I was going through all the like the the polls and the recent elections in Europe last night and looking at the green sort of vote share and whatever. Um, and it's clear that where there is a strong social democratic party that's doing relatively well, so Portugal, um, well, with the with the rise of Corbyn in the UK or whatever, Podemos in Spain. Yeah, well, well, actually, just even the PSOE now in Spain, yeah. like who've kind of sort of re-legitimized themselves a little bit. And who the, are the PSOE? The Social Democrats, the Socialist Party. Um, that that the Greens don't have a that they're, they're tiny. They're just they're, they're irrelevant and minuscule. But where the socialist or the social democratic parties are collapsing, um, a la, you know, i.e., um, Germany, Austria, um, it's that's where the Greens are actually, you know, massively growing their their vote. So I think that's that is significant there. That there's, it seems like that's just kind of a fairly one to one transfer. Where that doesn't seem to be happening actually is um, my my favourite uh, European country of Belgium. Um, where in the South and in Brussels, there's been a surge in both the far left and the green vote, largely at the expense of the sort of centre left. But like, actually, there's a growth in both a kind of like socialist vote and a green vote, which is probably the, the only one where it's like a genuinely encouraging sort of thing rather than just kind of shuffling around from one kind of liberal centrist party to another. Yeah. And uh, I suppose that like the mainstream... Uh, view of the Greens in Australia is that it ended up peeling off a lot of that disenchanted progressive Labor vote in Australia. You know, like that that ten of you know eighty nine percent of Greens votes will flow back to the Labor Party in preferences, and the you know essentially the Labor Party couldn't hold together this coalition of more centre right uh, section of its voting block and peeling off or losing its um, progressive vote. But maybe before we get to too too much detail. Uh, the question of where does Green's politics come from, I imagine, is quite a complex question because, as we noted, it's it, Green's politics in and of itself is very heterodox currently and doesn't. There's probably, I would say, quite difficult to, to describe a coherent Green's politics. Although maybe we'll get to one at the bottom. But Robbie, you've done a bit of research on this, and like, for your mind, where like, what are the origins of Green's politics as a as a cohesive identity, obviously green and, and sustainability and environmentalism have been things for a while, but what are the roots of the Greens' politics emerging? Yeah, I think, so, I think it goes back to, you know, the emergence of movement, the, the you know, the, the global revolt of 1968 and the politics that that represented, um, the kind of, the blockage of those, of those movements and the outcomes of the, I guess, the dreams of 1968, um and you know the the institutionalized the institutionalization of of that politics um i think that's largely where it's it, its base came from um obviously in in places like australia and germany it's very different in the way that formed even within australia it was very different amongst the different states yes incredibly um, like really different um but i thought there's a really interesting passage in this book called green band green bands red unions um People should read it. It's a great book by Meredith and Verity Bergman. It's about the history of the Green Bands and the BLF in particularly New South Wales. Um, it's and what were they, just quickly, because I think that's it's such a crucial moment in Australian polit- Green politics. What were the Green Bands, just so the, briefly? The Green Bands were... Um, so the Builders Labor's Federation in New South Wales, um, I guess, became quite a militant union over many years of going through, you know, mostly led by Communist Party members, um, going through a mass democratisation of the union. Um, and so they sort of built really strong um, uh, 
you know, workplace-based um, unionism, um, which is still evident today. Um, and I think as they were sort of exercising their power over, you know, the construction sites of Sydney, um, I think some uh, it was kind of a mix, I think, of both their own recognition of what they were doing and what they were doing with their labour, um, and probably also some some local groups coming and saying, we actually don't want this building to be in this place. Um, you know, this will destroy either some bushland or some historical significant site. So they started banning sites. So it was basically a closed shop then. So unless you had a union ticket, you couldn't work. Um, and if the union decided to not work a site, that site just would not get built. So it's off the, the I guess the, the famous site that they saved is the rocks in Sydney. So that will not exist if it was not green banned by... Um, and the rocks are a series, a big block of social housing. Is that right? No, it's just historical housing. Yeah, right. Um, it's not social housing anymore, I don't think. There, it was once. It was housing. where a lot of working class people lived in those days. Um, and I think there probably is still some so, some social housing there. But um, it was a both low-income housing and historical, historically significant site. They put a green ban on, and so that effectively saved that. Like Jack Mundy, who was the secretary of the union at the time, actually received a a state a planning award from the Town Planners Association of New South Wales, like about five about ten years ago. Can you imagine the nerdy planners absolutely losing their shit. Yeah. Like how often do planners win? <laughs> um, so because of the of the contribution that he made to the city of Sydney and saving all these or him and the union in saving all these places. So um, it was a real, I guess, um, moment where the the labor movement came together with, you know, people in the community and um, work together to try and uh, take on the government and big cap, big big capital, like construction capital, um, to forge a different kind of vision of what a city could look like. Um, so it was a bit of a watershed moment in the sense of going beyond, you know, regular trade unionism and using labour and trade unions as something as a, as like a social good. Um, and a broader social and to force. intervene in society, which yeah. is yeah, quite. And there's other examples where, like you know, um, there was I can't remember the exact details, but there are some homophobic um, actions by I think a university administration at I think UNSW or Macquarie, I can't remember, and they actually banned building on that site until it was resolved. Incredible um, stuff like that. So I think um, you know they were starting to get quite militant at it, and you know there's a long history of the destruction of the New South Wales BLF over yes. a number of years, which is probably a whole other podcast. It is, but it's worth noting that it was yeah. the Labor Party and the Hawke and Keating that Labor government them. and the ACTU yeah. that deregistered the BLF yes. for breaking with the deal of the accord. And that's yeah. for our next uh, podcast yeah. on the Labor Party. <laughs> but yeah, that's um, right. Well, he's going to get a bit of Labor. But to, the, to the, the, the bit in that book about the concept of using green as a political term, so it was actually when um, the founders of the German Greens were actually in Australia when all this was happening. And there's a passage in this book, I think, which is very interesting, where they sort of talk about the impact that that had on them uh, and the impact that that kind of social movement and, and stuff had on them, the alliance between the social movement and, and organised labour. Um, so there's a bit here that Bob Brown and Peter Singer claim that significance of the Green Bands movement was more than... Um, etymological that Kelly did not merely so Kelly is one of the leaders of the German Greens um, or to be leaders um, did not merely import vocabulary into Germany but was so inspired by the Grand Band movement that is mainly responsible for her launching the German Greens that she would often speak about the impact that the Green Bands had upon her and her philosophy and that she was especially impressed with the linkage achieved between environmentalists and a progressive trade union movement 
Um, yeah, so I think that's, you know, a little nice little historical tidbit about Australians, Australia's contribution to that concept. But I think knowing where that concept come from comes from is quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, I suppose that's, that kind of um, already locates green politics as a kind of um, composite sort of politics, right? Like, because at the same time as that's happening, you've got the rise of just the... I mean, I suppose when I think about the Greens in Australia, I think also about the Nuclear Disarmament Party as well, which was sort of prior to it, and the rise of just a, a, an ecological con- consciousness and a, and a sort of a anti-war movement. And so at the same time as you've got the trade union movement or part, a small part of it um, sort of finding ways to be to broaden out into the kind of social force that I think a lot of socialists were hoping that that's where the trade union movement would lead to at the same time you've got these what were called the the new social movements by the socialists back in the 60s and 70s um which uh had their had their own sort of specific politics like they were just ecological that were just purely about you know conservation and so on and so forth which is not so, like, at the one, I think it's like this, it's a joint origin of this kind of concept, which on the one hand, it's this great synthesis of, um, I suppose, kind of in a way, class war and at a broader ecological and social awareness at the same time as you've kind of just got the more, I suppose, what we would call kind of liberal democratic struggles around, um, yeah, around the environment and around um, the like anti-war movement and An stuff like that. An anti-nuclear movement. Yeah, yeah. And so the fact that those things, and and I suppose also you could throw in there, like I think the origins of the Greens also include the women's movement and you know like all the kinds of different social movements that were not properly reflected in a. There wasn't a political force that gave them sufficient expression, I suppose. Um, and so they were, I guess the the whole coalition that formed in at least in Australia, but I think probably this similar um, happened overseas. Um, you know what was that in the eighties? Um, came out of those different groups trying to find a political force that could kind of give them coherence on the on the kind of parliamentary level. Um, and so yeah, it's a it's already kind of a contradictory or mixed kind of. Um, even at its outset. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even at the time, so you have, this is kind of mid to late 70s, um, you have what, what what you would traditionally call old, the old, what people then would have considered old social movements, so the, the trade union movement, um, even like the peace movement, which is quite old um, at that point, very much based on sort of class-based organisations with a class orientation. And I guess they see these new social movements sort of springing up everywhere. Um and I guess it, it would appear at that point that, well, this is the new thing. Like, this is the thing that's stepping forward. This is the thing that's putting wind in its sails. And I think particularly in Europe and particularly in Germany, you have the experience of a lot of people of seeing the Communist Party portray 19, May 1968 um, and and telling workers to go back to work. Um, Especially th- in Paris. Yeah, yeah in yeah, Paris. Yeah. And I think yeah. that would have been a very formative um thing for a lot of i guess radicals in that sense to say well this this orientation is moribund there's a there's just it's got to be a new way to do this and i think that very much informed these new social movements which um as liam was saying sort of across a whole bunch of different different um areas and then i think that's very much that composite nature of that 
Um, you have these Greens parties informing in around sort of the mid to late 70s and early 80s. Um, I think that very much informs their politics. Um, they're still quite radical at that point. Um, but I think, yeah, I guess as those movements and as the economy moves into economic crisis and, you know, there's a series of defeats here, which is really the, def- the defeat of Whitlam as a serious defeat um, of any kind of social democratic program um, in response to a crisis, I think you get those movements themselves being blocked um, and not being able to find a way around the blockage. Um, the other think- major defeat, and I think this is really interesting, like the other major defeat is the defeat of the labour movement yeah. in that period. Like not just Whitlam, but, and you know, the Greens bans almost like seems to represent like a potentiality, like where it could, where Greens politics could have gone if it hadn't become untethered from its cl- from a class base that clearly it has remarkable strong history to. And this untethering seems to be one of the major um untethering from sort of any sort of organised working class and this sense that politics could no longer be achieved via that sort of social, traditional social movement and that political and progressive gains could no longer be achieved by them. You know, had the miners defeated by Thatcher. You had the um, air traffic controls defeated by Reagan. And it seems like, because, you know, I think we've discussed this before on the podcast, is this like a crisis in political strategy but what's interesting is it seems like the Greens are partially the product of this crisis of political strategy, but actually much earlier. Like, they're grappling, almost the Greens have, as you described, Robbie, this blockage, the feeling around in the dark and sort of essentially latching onto the new social um, movements who is, you know, eventually after Whitlam's defeat, but, you know, they sort of paddle on and the, um, there's a few major environmental wins. The Dan and Tassie, the... Franklin Dam. Franklin Dam and... Well, Jabaluga here as well was quite significant in the night in the sort of early two thousands. And you have these early wins, but it seems that they, you know, uh, that it, again, like everyone's story seems to be attached around the failure of the Iraq War movement. But this sort of the it seems like a lot of the problems we're grappling with in the Greens, uh, you know, in this sense of wanting to give it a class base again, seem to have its roots in this in the defeat. Uh, the, in the same way that social democratic parties are facing the same crisis, but in a different way. Yeah, I mean, that's... <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> well, I, well, well, no, because I think if you're... That's my honest response. If you, I think, like, if you're forming a political organisation in response to to blockage and defeat... and not, Yeah. I, only, I, don't, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it was defeat. I just think the avenues for struggle were blocked off by a conscious strategy from the state um, and, you know, suffocated, effectively. And I think that... Um, if you're starting a political party in that sense, it's, you know, in the, a lot of the early Greens parties were based on, like, they wanted to campaign out. It wasn't, they weren't necessarily parliamentary-based parties. But when you come up consistently against all these blockages, it just leads you to parliament as the way to deal with that. Um, and I think that's where you get, um, you know, that, that, that from, a, from a, like a Labour Party or Social Democratic point of view, that's where you lose your connection to that things outside parliament. But from a Greens point of view, which is new, I think that's where you actually, it pushes you in that parliamentary direction and then, you know, entering parliament and maintaining that presence becomes then the kind of what the party is about then um, because it's everything else is kind of being suffocated off. But then, you know, ironically, you're then part of that process. So I think um, it was, you know, still a time of like quite high levels of, of struggle. But I think... 
um, it was like the tap was being turned off and at the same time they're trying to form an organisation out of those struggles. So but I think can, it was being yeah. seriously challenging. But also, I think I think that's true, but I also think there were, um, there were different perspectives of, of like um, strategy and what politics is and what the goal is entering into the movement, right? And so, you know, in the Australian, the formation of the Australian Greens, there was, I mean, this is the thing, <laughs> Nicole and I were chatting about this before, before um, just about like how important these discussions really are. And we were kind of like, actually, maybe they're not in the sense that like getting our heads around the history is kind of maybe a good thing, but ultimately the question is, what do we do now? But if we wanted to like, and, and I do think there's a generation of activists um, in the different sort of like social movements in who are still sticking around the greens or in one of the kind of small trot organizations or whatever who tried to help form the greens back in the early 90s or whatever who can't help but always be at that moment like they've never left that time and they can't see the greens now without just constantly thinking about oh like i was a socialist who was driven out of the greens by mr black and and so there's there's that kind of like and i think that's still playing out for a bunch of people in the greens around the country and i think that's still at the heart of the bob brown versus like a set of like part of new south Honestly, wales it's bob brown so, versus new south wales yeah right so that's still kind of playing out for a lot of those people um, but the world has actually changed. The world has changed, and now that was thirty years ago. Yeah, yeah, and maybe, and and to be honest, maybe all of them were wrong. <laughs> you know, like maybe it's like don't you don't have to pick a side on that on that specific debate at the outset. But it is true though that like there were that debate around: do we put our efforts into building social movements, et cetera, et cetera, or do we put it all into like trying to win some positions in parliament? Was one of the big splits around the strategy in the early days for the Australian Greens. Um, but from my perspective, like what we were just talking about, the blockages of the social movements, I think a lot of that talk about, oh, we need to put our efforts into the social movements had the kind of failure, not a failure on the part of the people doing it. I, like you see where they're coming from, but they were working in the context where the kind of movement that we want, which is like a total social movement, right? Like it's a movement of... Um, uh, that's not just like this this particular social movement or that particular social movement. It's like a movement of people who are at least united enough to have um, a, a common kind of set of in, like intermediate goals. Um, that had already been blocked. And so you can see how both sides of this argument around electoralism versus kind of like social movements that have a win, get defeated, fall over, et cetera, et cetera. You can see how both sides kind of see the limitations of each other's mm. politics. But I, I think there's still a issue in the Australian Greens at the moment where there's not um, sufficiently strong third, like, um, poll that could overcome that kind of liberal, uh, you know, parliamentary strategy versus the kind of more like grassroots, what I would often, what I often see as ultra left sort of strategy. And there hasn't been for, I think, some time a coherent third force. And I think that's probably what we're trying to do here. But anyway, we should, you know, like, that's probably presaging a few things that we, we come to a bit later. Um, but just to say that that sort of thing marked, it wasn't just historical circumstances that led to things. It was also that actors coming into the Greens had different conceptions about what it was supposed to achieve. It was almost like it almost ended up, and I described, you know, I've described this as like organ sections of this Greens organization, but it ended up being like a um, refugee camp for like progressive refugees, like people who had like 
been spat out of lots of other different progressive movements in Australia and were quite lost and came together under this like quite, uh, as you described it, Liam, composite um, banner. Well, they tried, the, like the Communist Party, the Nuclear Disarmament Party, um, you know, at the same time, the trot groups were trying to form the Socialist Alliance or like a bit later, but like in, in the, at the point- yeah, like, of, like late 90s. Yeah, yeah, right. Like there was, there was there's, there's been an attempt for a very long time to form a third party in Australian politics or like a party to the left of the Labor Party. I mean, I suppose a lot of the, the Greens, the more liberal Greens didn't see it as to the left, but, you know, it was a more, it was a progressive overcoming of the limitations of the Labor Party. So they, they tried that. They tried different things and they- They'd fallen over for whatever reason, so the Greens was just another attempt to do that, and it's stuck around long. I mean, the Democrats as well, right? Um, in a, Which like, were around at the same time, and in the, in the, I mean, ultimately, like electorally and historically, the Greens have proved remarkably successful in in not on every term, but like just in pure electoral terms, its ability to maintain consistent representation suggests that it's it's more of a stable force in Australian politics than even the certainly the Democrats, but a lot of parties, like small parties that have come and gone, including the DLP and things like Democratic Labor Party, which is a right-wing split from the Labor Party. Um, so that sort of leads nicely onto sort of the next uh, section. We sort of talked about it a little bit, but Robbie, you've done... I, th- I think all of us know bits of the history of the emergence of the Australian Greens, but you mentioned before that there's a quite a, um, I suppose, like a very uh, heterodox, for lack of a better term, um, history of the, across the different states and even forces within the different states uh, for its origins. Because for people that don't know, the Greens are actually a federal party, so they're a makeup of quite different state parties uh, under a federal banner. Yeah, so I think... Well, I, I think the, so it sort of originates in the concept of having an Australian Greens party originates in Tasmania, as most people probably know. Um, very, very different there to most other places, I think, pretty fair to say. Um, formed much more, so they had this group called the United Tasmania Group, formed very much on a kind of um, ecology, you know, sort of environment basis. Um and so they sort of successfully made. Um, so there's a few campaigns. This is in like the early 70s. Um, they made the environment a, a key issue in, in politics in Tasmania quite early, um, and sort of ran on a um, ecological platform. Um, and I guess you know, and the, the, they had the four pillars: ecology, social justice, participatory democracy, and peace. Um, very similar to the current four pillars of the Greens: um, nonviolence. <laughs> um, I'm gonna I'm gonna come up with my Mad Mad Max clause joke about that at some point tonight. <laughs> um, and I think so. A lot of the members of that group um, formed the basis of the campaign around the Franklin River, which actually formed the Wilderness Society as an organisation. Um, you then have Bob Brown being elected in 1983 in state parliament. Um, you then have in 1986 a group being elected to um, the Tasmanian Parliament called the Independents. I think that's very instructive. Um, that is a name, uh, and they held the balance of power with a minority Labor government, actually um, under a thing called the Labor Green Accord at that time in 1986. So I think there's five of them. Um, and that was when, actually that was when Christine Milne was elected first to Parliament. So they, re- they renamed themselves the Green Independents in 1982, uh, and sorry, 1992. Um, they formed the Tasmanian Green Party in 1992, and later that year they launched the Australian Greens, um, and in 1906, um, 
the greens there achieved power, the balance of power, um, with a liberal minority government. Yeah, that's um, right. It was a socially progressive. So yeah, so that that was their first participation, uh, the second participation in government. So I think you can see from Tasmania, quite early on there was participation in government. Um, participation in formal politics was an establishment quite early, um, on the basis of, you know, very much an environmental perspective. Um, and I think in 1992, when they sort of the call comes out to form the Australian Greens, um, you then have formations coming together in each state. And I'm not an expert of what happened in Queensland, unfortunately. Um, so maybe others can speak about that here. But I know it was every other state's very, very different to that in the way that it actually formed as an organisation. I've, um, I've read like... I, I wish I like dug this up as well because at some point in time, um, you know, when Jono first got elected, someone sent us this like clipping of like a, a newspaper article of like whatever the older version of like, a, you know, like a socialist or like left wing newspaper um, was. And it was describing one of the first meetings of the, the Greens in Queensland and deciding to do a party. And like the description of it was just too real. Like it was just like, oh, yeah, cool. We're still having these same conversations aren't we like and see all of these people playing out like a little bit differently now in terms of the actual greens itself but in terms of the left in brisbane it just kind of seemed it was it was too real (laughs) (laughs) but i really wish i brought it because it would have been really great to read out so try and dig it up i think one of the interesting things to reflect on just broadly on the formation of the greens is like our 20th century understanding of political parties is that they represent this, they're like political organizations or representations of coherent social movements. Whereas the Greens emerge as this like sort of sure linked in this some way to these small social movements, but not in social movements as we understand them in these like large organized things in society. Yeah. It wasn't like a weight. group of people got together and like, right, we need to form a federal party yes. based on our social weight. Yeah. yeah. You know, our weight within society. So the Greens are like the first, you know, that's like the, Nicole, you said they're grappling with those issues, but I think we're, they're grappling with the same issue, they were grappling with the same issues at the time because they're one of the first 21st century political parties. One that isn't necessarily linked in the same way that, say, the Nationals were, the Labour Party or the Liberals were linked to real social forces in society. The Greens... That had been developing for decades and decades prior, prior to the and, formation and of that And only, party, yeah, yeah, it came with sort of... Uh, and, you know, we can have a broader discussion about what happens when social movements come into contact with state and parliament. Um, but I think this is one of the... One of the broader undergirding issues for the Greens is if we don't have that formal link, and but, you know, we're coming in now and we're talking... And I think it's important. This is where, I, like, I slightly disagree, Liam. I like, I think I like the history because it, it undergirds the theoretical discussions we're having now about contemporary Greens politics, is how do we have a real and genuine connection to social movements, A, that don't exist, but when they do form, how do we forge those genuine, real links? Like, how do we stop parliamentarism from dragging the entire party to the right? Uh, because we've seen that happen with its part parliamentary representation. But as yet, we've never solved the issue of how that, how it would be any different if, say, a group of uh, MPs from within the Queensland Greens were elected. Uh, and it, like, it's, good enough, it's not good enough, I don't think, for us to say, well, we have better ideas. Well, it's not about that as well, though. Like, I think, and this was a part of our conversation earlier today, is like, it's not, it's not only about a question um, within the Greens and, like, how you engage in parliamentarism um, and there's a sort of different camps. Like, there's not just a question of ideas and ideology all the time. A lot of the no, time, exactly. it's a question around 
I guess like the the broader goals of it and what we see the what the purpose of the Greens are and a lot of the problems I think with some of the parliamentarism that goes on at the moment in the Greens is the limited scope in which they believe um, change is possible you know when they're actually just going for such small sections of the vote and this is probably getting into something we should probably get into further down but I, yeah but I think there's I think there's very varying versions of parliamentarianism oh that's not right no it is that's it right. is um. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, and I agree with that, but I think that outlooks again. When I mentioned that ideas weren't enough, outlooks aren't good enough either. Yeah, but I also don't think it's actually been tested. To be well, honest, it, like, well, I, it, yeah, well, I maybe <laughs> not, but it's certainly come close. I would say Mitterrand probably has a more. Yeah, but rapid- I mean, I mean, in in the Greens in Australia, oh, I, sure, I just don't think we've ever tried to be the organisation. Like, so no, I think, no, I agree I think, with that. Like, no, no, we I do think- actually need some ideological clarity. First, yeah, yeah, before yeah. you even know how to approach, like, oh, how does the organisation relate to social movements? If you're, if the majority of your elected MPs, if the institutional power in your in your organisation doesn't even have the frame of reference to to even begin to contemplate what it would mean to transform the state, blah blah blah, to trans, you know, not even necessarily to be an anti-capitalist party. I'm not, I'm not, one of, you know, I'm not necessarily saying the Greens has to do that in any explicit way, but like sell out. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Already, I just been cancelled by all my hell. by all my old comrades. You, you, As you, if you, knew, you knew it was coming the day you recruited me to Socialist Alliance. Um, the the but like like having having the the even the basis of a, an understanding of where like what the role of the party is, where it needs to go, and so on is important because it's not like we we're you know, we're trying to answer these questions with you know the small gains that we sort of made in Queensland and and, and whatever but you know like we haven't even come close to forming a, a, a you know a, a consensus in the greens around even what we're trying to do such that like our relationship to social forces and stuff becomes a like a tangible question yeah and to be clear i completely agree with all of that but i suppose what i'm saying is that it's worth like uh, and you know it's worth thinking about that piece of the puzzle because uh, much more at Cerizia, which I think is actually in many ways represents the sort of political party that we would want to form, which is this coalition of small left groups, had real connections into society that we could only dream of, its ability to fund and uh, like alternative ways of feeding people and providing medical care. Like it was literally going into Greek communities, suburbs, and like funding doctors to provide alternative medical care. Like imagine if we were doing that right now and they still lost. And like I think a lot of the path what you've described, Liam, is like everyone here agrees with that. I certainly do. And I agree that actually the Greens in Australia have a lot to gain from that enormously. And we will hopefully, if that strategy plays out, get to that stage. But I suppose what I'm cons- what I what this history really says to me, uh, like deep within the DNA of the Greens as a political party, as a political movement, is the same thing that brought down Syriza and the same thing that brought down Mitterrand in France and uh, Potentially the same thing that will bring down Corbyn and Sanders. And I think, they're again, and it really does feel like this feeling out in the dark for a solution to that piece of the puzzle. But for me, what this history says and uh, is that that's, that's something... I almost feel like that's the most crucial question. And it's, it, it, it's true that, like, 
you know, like, what is it like the owl of Minerva only flies out at dusk? Like, the solutions <laughs> to these... It's just a casual Hegel reference yeah. in this. We're very... This is big, you know, like... Yeah, but the solutions only present uh, themselves... Max has got highbrow, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's okay. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think... No, no, I suppose... Yeah. Cut I want him to down to size. Yeah, How yeah. dare you drop Hegel? Yeah. <laughs> I know. What I'm saying is that the solutions may only present themselves when we're in that particular moment. But I think we should at least think seriously about that because we need to think about the pitfalls that other political movements have fallen into. Um, it's not our strategy currently is going to fail. Like, let's put it out. Let's cards on the table. If everything we uh, we hope to do works in Queensland, we lose. Like, I, I think yeah. that's worth reflecting but, on. But that's where that. But that's where I think, and I think that's reflected in some of this stuff here, where it's like even where there's. You know, like a, a parliamentary wing of a, of a of a Greens party, and this is particularly evident in Germany, I think. Um, which you know, if we if we want to look at a Greens party that is terrible, that's like the model. Um, yeah, I was going to ask Robert, yeah, did you go into this? But I think it's it's even even the left of those parties. It's kind of like there's not really coherence, or the left, or whatever it is, the the movement inspired bit isn't really cohered around a program either. Mm. Yeah. And it's often cohered around individual MPs yep. and their networks or, yep. um, you know, something like that. And there's not necessarily a, you know, a program around a, a more radical version of politics either. And yep. so I think that's where um, it really puts the parliamentary wing in the box seat because they do have a program mm. um, and it's very clear. And I think um, particularly with the German Greens coming through the 80s and into the 90s, like it was really easy for the right to have a program. It was free market capitalism because mm. um, they were literally right, they, you know, Berlin Wall, right? Mm. So, um, I think in that sense, it's like, yes, the I guess there's no, we can't point to an ideology or anything, but I think the, there's a really easy ideology for the parliamentary, parliamentarianism wing to have because it's the accept, it's it's the dominant one. Um, whatever, however that dominant one actually portrays itself as that's what it is you know they have the networks they get the media they can push the argument they have the parliamentary resources yeah and i think it's it's kind of like you know it's really hard to hear an argument um and a program um within that environment um and i think that's that's a real challenge and i think it's a it's both a contemporary challenge as we know but it's also a his, historically proven yeah i mean i think yeah, and this this gets to like how I've been kind of thinking of it a bit lately is because of that kind of sp- like it's kind of like the Skeksis and the Mystics, right? Um, in Dark Crystal, they're actually the same. There is a degree to which spoiler alert, sorry for those who haven't watched oh, the man. classic nineteen eighty six Jim Henson. It's sort of like I haven't seen it. So oh well, just I just ruined the end <laughs> of the <laughs> I when. Seen yeah, no, I haven't there seen you it. Go, you're all. What were your childhoods? Wait, really how old? When were you born? Wait, when was I born? <laughs> anyway, um, I was born in the year two thousand. Wow. Okay. Cool. 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 Um, but there's a, there's a sense in which, um, and we were ch- chatting about this before, um, Nicole, about like the whole, the fact that the kind of social movement wing kind of ends up tending towards a similar or ref- like um, mirror image ideology to the parliamentary wing insofar as it's kind of happy to be a kind of like a leverage, like it, it's social weight sort of leverage to be able to 
force an issue into the public debate, which then gets taken up in parliament. And, and so like the goal of the Greens, like I'm not sure. I mean, I think everyone in this room, there's the unspoken agreement that what we want is a party that can be a mass social movement that can also win government, that can, you know, like transform the state, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's not clear whether most, you know, leading members of the Greens, whether in parliament or not, actually think that or believe that, right? I mean, I'm sure plenty do. And, you know, um, shout out to all those comrades all around the country. But like... I think that's that's where I mean the ideology bit is actually quite important because that's kind of like if we're if one side is kind of like well we want to just be grassroots movement work and we get an MP elected and they just give us resources to help us do that um, and then the parliamentary wing is kind of like okay great we can kind of put a little bit of pressure on uh, the labor you know, labor government or liberal government to kind of get this reform done etc cetera, etc cetera. like and that's the scope of our ambitions then where all sorts of questions around how we move forward are like precluded they're off the um off the table to begin with yeah you like where we were talking about this before like there you you don't think about as much but there really is these like commonalities between i guess like the very yeah ultra left grassroots movement section of the party um and the party of the, the part of the party that's really into parliamentarism it's like a lot about it, like awareness raising getting the issues on the table small scale win wins and then there's this yeah, what, what is missing from that and I guess the kind of space that we are obviously trying to fill and the kind of program that we're trying to push forward in the Greens is, is something that's different to that and something that's like, yes, we make small wins along the way, but this is actually like a large scale um, project. But I guess the other thing as well is, so from that, Liam, I guess when you see like the social movement of with the Greens, because I guess to, to, to me, I see them, it's, it's really difficult like it's super super difficult but in like this absolutely ideal scenario or in the way you would like to see this happen is to have a social movement that is somewhat linked to the party but is also holding the party to account and has its own you just are you not really sure how you're going to see this to happen and I guess a real thing that's missing in this and I I see in the both the formation of the Greens hearing the history um, from Robbie because I didn't do any of this reading before the show. Um, so I was like, oh, I'm really learning here. <laughs> this <laughs> is mostly about the education that. of the presenters. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, it's like real like woke. I'm like learning along with the listeners and, you know. Um, but any, anyway, so I think that like lots of these movements and lots of the movements that surround us as well don't have – don't engage very often in an economic at an economic level or like a, a really sort of like broad societal um level and i yeah, in what that's, sense in like- well in that sense is like like i guess like a lot of the time it is about like you know the social movements engage in um around a certain issue like uh, whether it's environmentalism whether it's like refugees and there isn't necessarily a like i guess like a broad um uh, agreement or common goals around like the economic system and there is sections of that like socialist alliance and all that shit but they don't really do like they're not they, they haven't built any sort of like so any of the mass stuff that you've sort of not even mass like even getting anywhere towards that I guess I'm kind of terrified that nothing will ever build to that level um that engages on on that terrain which is a terrain and absolutely we will need them to engage on um, to ho- to hold the parliamentary 
party of the future that we want to be able to to account when it it does this does if it tries to do what Syriza does. Yeah, I think so. It's Syriza though, by the oh, way, okay. just for all of you, yeah, just yeah. Um, so you can stop embarrassing yourselves. Um, what so is it? No, Syriza. Plebs over here. Yeah, that's right. Our Minerva, but then mispronounced um, <laughs> Syriza. Um, I think where I would disagree is I don't think any of those groups that you just mentioned are real social movements. Mm, no. Like, and I think like the refugee movement, I think it's a movement, but it's like, I think it, the term social movement is probably one that we bandy around. But like, for me, it's a, like, it's a, mo- it's a movement of people within society acting in their own direct material interests. Uh, in a collective way. What and does that mean, though? Because, like, does that mean an anti-war? Like, do you mean well, economic I think civil interests rights, or? Well, I think the civil. I think the civil rights movement was a real social, like, you know, yeah. obviously, because it's people of yeah. color, you know, yeah, um, yeah. black Americans. I, I, I think you can have large political movements, but I think that, that uh, I think there is like. I I don't I don't think the distinction I think the distinction sometimes gets fuzzy, but I think it's clear enough to know that the last large scale social movement we've probably seen in Australia was the the union movement at its peak, or maybe the environmental movement in like the Franklin Dam, or I think the CSG stuff is another great example. It was successful and they wielded power because it was about protecting their own land. Um, well, it got completely crushed apart from a few farmers who managed <laughs> to get a bit of CSG off their yeah, land. Yeah, well, like, there's places in northern New South Wales that are like 99% gas field free. But, you know, that's... You should see the map of where the wells got sunk. <laughs> we got crushed. <laughs> well, there you go. And Maybe it, if you just draw the lines around the right parts of places, you can say that it's 99% free, but the sign where it's like... No, there, were, there were good wins and they did have a social base in the sense of, uh, of like, you know, it was a particular grouping of people who were trying to defend, you know, like their the area that they live in. And, and, and then they had allies coming from the city and whatever. And it was social. I, I suppose what I'm saying, where I would... So, I said, having said all that, I think one of the lessons that everyone really learnt out of the movement of the squares and Occupy movement and the emergence of those, they were like, and, you know, in the 15M in Spain, the Indignados, uh, was... There wasn't a political organisation to get to give immediately give that some structure and ability to use what had emerged in a powerful way, in a sustainable way. And you know, I think we've all here read "Inventing the Future" by Cernak and Williams. And for me, one of the most influential things uh, about that book was the co- that Granchian concept of a war of position. That like what the work that hadn't been done in the lead up to the to that explosion of movements post the GFC across the world was uh, that long, hard, A, developing an alternative program. Like, Robbie, and, you know, I think the people with the plan win and being able to disseminate that amongst society in the same way the neoliberals were in the, you know, the Mount Pelerin Society, et cetera, in the lead up to the 1980s and build a political organisation that could immediately propose an alternative and then capture those social movements and not capture them, capture them in a positive way and, and capture like the energy. positive capture. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> positive I'm positively captures. catching you. Um and I like I th- what I see the work being done now is building those structures in anticipation of something coming, like I like and you know the idea um, that Walter Benjamin always said the decisive blows are always struck left-handed. I don't think we'll pick necessarily where the real big large next social movement happens in Australia, but all we have to do is be ready for it. Like that's genuinely I see that, uh, and and, and I think I, I would see it preemptive even to that that it's like. We don't really know what this mass social movement is going to be, right? Which is going to like 
challenge for power and all this kind of stuff and hopefully credit a different kind of society. But I think what we do know is that um, in contemporary society, it's, you know, you're constantly, I think there's, there's increasingly less space to do these kind of things. So for me, it's even just prior to that, it's actually how can a political party that goes into parliament actually open up some space for a social movement to be able to foster itself. Um, and that's not that's not preempting a social movement. To me, that's just, you know, having a conversation, actually saying it's okay to go out there and, and do these things, um, you know, having some resources, for Christ's sake. Um, and when you say do these things, what do you mean by that? Oh, just like like organise in your community, like, yeah. you know, organise, you know, what, however. Um, Around issues that are affecting you. Yeah, yeah like Jono like, does a good job of yeah. it, right? Like yeah. that's definitely a role that he yeah. plays. And I think that's, to me, that's the key role, the, I guess the initial role that... A um, parliamentary party? A parliamentary party can play um, in actually fostering an environment for, you know, so we're not actually saying you must do this as a social movement. It's actually saying we're just going to try and open up a space here for things to flourish a little bit better mm. because pretty much for the last 30 or 40 years, things have been crushed um, because the thing that did that was the union movement and it was crushed. Mm. Um, or crushed itself in the Australian context. Yes. But anyway, yeah. that's yeah. Crushed already from, been from over within. that yeah, times. Right. But, you know, so I think... And that's and I think that's a similar situation elsewhere. Um, and, and, and I think it's, it's in... To me, that's that's through solidarity, right? It's like it's like a parliamentary party demonstrating solidarity and opening up spaces for things to happen, um, and, and they're not leading it necessarily. Um, it's just creating that space for a discussion and some organising and some basic, basic, really basic solidarity to actually happen. Um, and to me, I think that's the role that you know an emerging sort of parliamentary thing like the Greens can play, um, and. I think the moment that exists now is quite different to the moment that existed in the sort of 70s and 80s because the the right and the you know the the state they had a plan and they implemented their plan they don't have a plan at the moment um it's clear that they have a plan we also don't have a plan um necessarily i mean we is in the broadest progressive you know you should see their door knock targets um, <laughs> <laughs> oh we got a plan people yeah. see my spreadsheets uh, but, and so I think, you know, things are in a bit of a state of flux, but that's a, a real opportunity, I think, to go in and actually foster some of this, uh, you know, what do you call plan making, right? So mm. um, on some on some level. So I think that's the difference now mm. at, and what we have to what existed when, you know, the Greens formed in 1992. Like things were... Very different. Very different. We're just about to be heading into this sort of like free market led boom in Australia. Yeah, like, yeah. We're totally about to different get situation. Fucked on, like yeah. repeatedly. And so yeah. I think that's, yeah, that that's the difference for me, and that's the opportunity. I think. Yeah. No, I completely um, agree, and I think that's a really good articulation of like we're in this, and you know, I think again, I realize we don't actually talk about we didn't we haven't talked about it much on the podcast. We talk about it in person all the time, but that concept of the like. Um, the old is dying, but the new cannot be born. Gramsci quote around the fact that the established order is no, disintegrating. And look at your tall posse syndrome <laughs> over here. Check out this nerd. <laughs> Check him out. But, but, I, I, no, I'm allowed to do that because I don't. I don't quote these. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, theorists. like the concept, throw my book at yeah. Ralph Miller. Then <laughs> yeah. that, you know. uh, God. Um, 
The listeners guy Liam's banding about a copy of what is it called? The State and Capitalist Society. And if you know, now I've outed myself as a true reformist. Yeah, sellout. Um, and you know, and like that that they clearly don't have a plan. And Dave Eden, uh, friend of the cast, uh, you know, has really spoken a lot about the fact that like speaking of feeling around in the dark, like the established, you know, the establishment parties and sort of you know the economists in Australia have no and Treasury have no fucking idea what to do about the slow crisis in economics, not to mention the slow crisis in politics. Yeah, and this is the other totally. thing that we... So no one know, has a resolution to that one. We, I don't, we've actually talked about this a lot, so I don't need to repeat it, except to say, you know, the, the, dis- the disconnect between social movements and the established political parties is a crisis that they don't know how to solve either. But yeah. before we go on, I wanted to ask, Robbie, because you have done a lot of really good research into the German Greens, both its prehistory and what's going on now. And I think this is a good moment to sort of talk about that because this is what we want to do. But what's going on in another part of the world where actually they're far more successful than us electorally right now, like 20%. Sure, okay, winning a councillor, big deal. But, you know, what, what's going on over in Germany? A lot of negativity over here, <laughs> yeah. Max, by the Are way. Are the German Greens going to get elected to government in Germany and lead a transformation to a zero carbon economy that is socially just and constrain the power of cap- the capitalist class. No, because they're terrible. Okay, <laughs> okay. cool. Explain. Uh, <laughs> explain. <laughs> explain. Can we um, put in the um when you, can we edit in the, the Daleks explain thing? Explain. 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 Okay, great. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, I think so. As we said before, like the German Greens very much formed out of the social movements at the time, particularly the anti-nuclear movement. That's huge in Germany. So the the Social Democratic Party government at the time and later the Christian Democratic government really went hard on nuclear power. They built mm. started building a lot of nuclear power stations in Germany, um, and it kind of it did result in actually a lot of pretty significant environmental damage. Just like acid rain and all this kind of stuff. So a huge movement build up, very much. In very ways, it's similar to like the CSG movement here, which are cross-section of society and all that kind of stuff. Um, and they started blockading and shutting down the new constructions of the of the power stations. That quite large social movement led to the formation, led to people running for parliament um, and doing okay. So like, okay, maybe we should form a party. A party was formed. They called themselves the German Greens. I think, as I mentioned before, um, very much inspired, I think, by some of the stuff happening in Australia. Which some is of the pretty incredible. That I didn't idea. know that. Um, and I think, um, and so they kind of existed for a while. And then, of course, you have the collapse of the Berlin Wall, collapse of the Soviet Union. Um, and at that time, a huge debate broke out in the party about how to relate to politics in East Germany. Because um, you had a bunch of sort of Maoists, ex-Maoists, like radical left people, like people who like probably were hanging out with the Red Army faction and like, you know, people like that. Um, environmentalists, quite a large... Because it's a, a pretty sort of significant cross section of the part of 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 politics, um, and they kind of dev- devolved into two groups: the realos and the fundies. The the realists. Oh my and god! The it's like the, what is it? The mystics and the what? And the skeksis. <laughs> oh my god! I, this is what I mean. It's it's legit. Go Hello, watch the I've dark. The oh. okay, anyway, anyway over a series of debates, the the realos, which were the conservative. People, the realos. Yeah. Um, oh, you fucking realos. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The skeksis. Uh, <laughs> They definitely using that going forward. They <laughs> totally, they, it was a complete defeat 
for the, the I guess the radical left in the party. There was still a left, I think, in the party, but the radical left was and the radical left were called the the fundies. The fundies. I think so that, the, the mystics got bucked on. It's well, I, I think I, I comment here. It's interesting that like the debates in in New South Wales, it's for it's like they call the east. They call them the Eastern Bloc. The left is called the Eastern Bloc. Yeah. You know, and yeah. here a left is called the fundamentalist. I think it's quite interesting that in these debates. The left are often cast as like the, the unreasonable ones. The unreasonable, unmovable object. Yeah. I thought um, it was because they were fun. That's what I was hearing no, from that. Fundamentalists. Oh. Sorry, Nicole. Um, They're not fun, Nicole. No laughing. <laughs> the left has there's no no fun on the left. So no I think, fun on the dead yeah. planet. And so I think at that point and, and you can kind of understand, I think, how they were able to to win that debate at that point, because they sort of advocated this like kind of pro Pro capitalist, capitalist with a human so, face kind of way, line, third yeah. way type politics, yeah. yeah. Um, and we're very much supported, you know, institutionally from the media and stuff in their in their sort of fight. So they go on, they kind of struggle along a bit. They never really get that good of a vote. Um, they never actually replicate. I think in the late late eighties, they got they got sort of up to well, upwards of eight, nine, ten percent. Um, they never replicate that after the split. Um, of course, they then blame that on the people they've just kicked out of the organisation. That's it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Mystic bastards. Stop punching yourself. Stop yeah. hitting yourself. <laughs> and so then, so then in, in 1998, um, they join a coalition government. So they've been in a bunch of coalition governments in state state parliaments with the Social Democratic Party. But in 1998, they join the, the SPD, the Social Democratic Party, under Schroeder, Gerd Schroeder. Um, and that was a decisive shift, I think. In so they they went into coalition government. They had ministers. They only won six point seven percent of the vote. Mm. Um, so that's it's not like they actually had this groundswell of support, yeah. which led them to be in coalition government. And this is the thing, right? In Europe, where you've got the proportional representational yeah. model, the green parties can yeah. can have like so quite six, a parliamentary six percent could equate to like twenty or thirty seats, right? Yeah. So I think in that instance, like it's not like they had they're winning with any they were. They really were the, ju- the junior partners yeah. in the coalition. That was small. Um, and so that led to a series of things that happened. Um, what came up first was the decision to, to um, join the war in, Kos- in Kosovo. So um, I think I'm not going to go into what led to that war and you all know, the rest of it around let's it. Let's not go to the history of the Kosovo they, war. They went, for po- podcast number yeah, 17. They went into... So they, they agreed to that, which was a massive sort of... Um, Betrayal. Departure, betrayal from the party's principles. So, uh, like, even as it, so, nineteen ninety four, um, Joska Fischer, who was the leader of this, that the whole time that they were doing this, um, said that the engagement of German forces in countries where Hitler's troops had stormed during the Second World War would only fan the flames of conflict. Yet four years later, he's like, send the bombs in. Um, Fuck! What a transformation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so because he's a realo. Because well, he was the foreign minister <laughs> as well. So he was a party with six point seven percent of the vote. He's the leader yeah. was the foreign minister and vice chancellor of Germany. Um, Imagine being that socially marginal and then having, having that much really power. power right? yeah. Kind of glad we did. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, We're not ready. <laughs> I'm gonna so, just accidentally bomb Kosovo. So, that led, so I think that Oof. led to another huge fight in the organisation. A whole bunch of people left because they were marginally actually that. They only just won the vote to do that within the party. Oh right, right. Um, God, what a defeat! Uh, so that the the left was that was sort of very much uh, another definitive defeat. Um, on top of that, so Schroeder came up. So basically, this is this this time in Germany is sort of equivalent to the Blairs in the in the UK, where they 
the Social Democratic Party instituted a bunch of um, sort of market-friendly reforms, uh, attacked the welfare state, attacked wages, um, to the point where I think Germany is quite a low-wage state at the moment. Incredibly low. Um, and it's actually how it's been able to dominate the EU common market. But So that was all set up by the Social Democrats. So they had this thing called Agenda 2010, which was all about um, attacking the economy, social security, and increasing strengthening Germany's, Germany's position um, in the world market. And this is kind of at the same time as um, Western German capital is moving into Eastern Germany yeah, year by year. So there's totally. kind of like this opening up of the East to Western German capitalism. So yeah. um, there's a massive expansion. Free gift, effectively, yeah, capital Massive expansion yeah. going on. Yeah. Of the, you know, they're not having to pay for infrastructure. Yeah. It's all just there. And they go in and, and, yeah. and start... Primitive um, accumulation all yep, over again. Totally. Um, so... Um, within that agenda, there was this thing called the Hearts Hearts Four Law, uh, and so that basically, um, so the the welfare system was sort of set up with you got like a welfare payment and services were provided by state governments. It kind of joined it all together into one thing, um, and trade unions and sort of churches and and other and, and, and the people like that consider the Hearts Four Law as the largest cut in the German system of social social security since World War Two. And so the Greens voted for that. So they then they were champions of this reform. Oh yeah, um, right roll. Skeksis yeah. for the win. So I think like that. So you know you have this thing where they decisively break with their yeah. principles of peace, um, which was a bedrock of that of the party, just as, as much as it is, and like not just in the rules, but in the actual ideological formations of the organisation. Um, and then you have the championing of this sort of hearts for law. Um, and the and the and agenda twenty twenty. So I'm not just champion. I'm not just supporting, but actually participating in doing it. Um, and I think you, if you come to now, so I think there's I've got a whole bunch of things where where those ministers ended up. So they're basically unsurprisingly all sellouts. Um, work for the nuclear industry and all this kind of yeah, stuff. Amazing. Like, yeah, yeah. Where are they now? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like um, Labor. Where are they now? It's like at KPMG. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, and so I think um, so now they kind of. Um, are in a position and that they, they kind of got pretty hammered so there was a party that was established in germany at, at that time which was sort of a split from the social democrats called the left the uh, delinka um they started actually encroaching on the greens vote and taking some of it um and i think at, at some point we had a larger vote than the Greens. oh yeah, yeah they did. I, I think yeah. even double the greens vote yeah. for a while there. and so they yeah. were kind of struggling and now um they're in a position where they're they're sort of back but they haven't reversed any of that yes. politics in fact yeah. they've probably gotten worse yeah so and so in i think in um this year actually in a state called baden Württemberg, um which is one of the more conservative states they actually topped the vote with 30 percent so they've so so traditionally they've always been junior partners in coalition governments they are the senior partner in a government with the cdu so for people, the equivalent of that is like in Victoria, say, the Greens win the state election and form a coalition gun with the LNP. That would be the equivalent of that happening. With the LNP, the um, junior partner. As the junior partner, <laughs> yeah. So the premier is like a Greens. Oh my Greens. God. That so the, so the, Greens guy, the, the Greens guy in that state is kind of quite critical of their plan to introduce electric cars because um, that's where all the car manufacturers are in that yeah. state. Um, so he's now the the sort of premier of the state where all the kind of car manufacturers are and stuff. Um, Some harsh realities, huh? Yeah, and so I think, 
and you know this is after a number of coalitions on a state level between the CDU, the the Conservatives, and the Greens as well. Because um, I guess after that sort of late nineties, early two thousands Green Red Alliance government, um, they very much proved themselves as yes. reliable coalition partners. Yes. And I'm mm. doing that in air quotes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you Robbie, can't, you can't see now. it, people, but they're they're very sinister looking. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think that sort of gives you an idea. And I think it's very very dangerous for us to use them even to I think like uncritically cheer from the sidelines as they increase their vote because I think if this organization existed in Australia mm. we would be vehemently opposed to them and not, I don't yeah. just mean people like us I mean actual just regular Greens members I think and, the majority of Greens stuff. members like, these are yeah. this is a conservative organization um, and, and so I was what saying explains- I, what I was saying before it's actually it's not um, carbon neutral by 2050 the Greens target in Germany is 100% renewables by 2050. Which is... Whoa, that's yeah. more conservative than yeah. the... I'm pretty sure the UK conservative party. Yeah, yeah. And so, I think they, um, they've they often been just described as... You know, I think there was, there's a term in Australia, neoliberals with bikes. I think the term in Germany is neoliberals with electric cars and wind farms. Um, but even the wind farms, maybe not. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's yeah. a bit of a trajectory and to get where we are now. And I think... Um, you can kind of see partly um, the Greens benefiting in Germany, not just from the collapse of the SPD, but also the collapse of the CDU. The CDU, yeah, the, yeah. and the, I guess the the more liberal elements of the CDU seeing the Greens as a real vehicle Legitimate. for their politics. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know we can see why based yeah. on what they've the history done. and the contemporary. Um, I think the other thing, like you were going to ask Max, like what explains the rise, like the yeah. rise in their vote share. Yeah. Like I think there there is a thing going on in Germany though. Around it's kind of like the Greens represent to me the um, the hashtag resistance in a way um, in Germany. So because of the rise of the alternative für Deutschland, like the kind of far right you know, one nation style party, I guess, um, that freaked out a lot of the kind of like middle class or like working class, but, you know, inner city progressives, um, that that was going to like the progressive credentials of Germany was being, were being stripped away by the rise of um, AfD. Um, like there's been a reaction and, and because of the refugee influx um, over the last like five, ten years, um, the Greens did position themselves as the hashtag resistance, as far as I can tell, to the rise of the AFD. So I think to, to some extent, like some of the there's been, been a legitimacy crisis in the SPD. Um, they are increasingly seen as kind of stodgy, you know, um, sell, like not sellouts, but corrupt, et cetera, et cetera. And simultaneously, the rise of the the far right has positioned the Greens as the sensible defenders of the liberal establishment for a certain section of the German sort of working and middle class. And I think that's what's sort of driving this um, growth. I think the issue is that they can't deliver on anything good because they don't have that perspective and they don't know, they wouldn't know how to do it if they did. And um, that vote share will is... That, like you can't hegemonize society. You can't win an like an outright majority. You can't get to forty, fifty percent of the vote and have enough social weight if you're relying on you being the defenders of the liberal establishment that's fucking over most of the like the working class. So and like <laughs> certainly one of the so, pre- one of the undergirding like forces for the rise of the far right in Germany. Yeah, exactly, like, yeah. exactly. And I think I think well, I think one of the criteria now with the climate crisis specifically as a political organization. 
are you going to actually do something significant that addresses that and makes people's lives better at the same time? Or are you going to administer decline and crisis? And I think they're going to administer crisis and decline. Mm. And they've very much made that decision and that's the road they're going to go down. And I think the various splits and all that kind of stuff have basically... I don't know what their membership numbers are at the moment, but I could, they're pretty low, yeah. particularly because they started off at about thirty or 40,000 members. So, um, you know, they're divorced from any, any membership. They're committed to administering decline. Um, and the things that I think, um, yeah, like it's, it's more the fact that you have the rise of the right, which has led people to the Greens because the SPD is so shit yeah. and failing. Um, and probably because just like here, this, the Christian Democrats are split on the issue there'd be a whole bunch of christian democrats who would have sympathies with the with the, the far right mm. just like the, ele- the you know, elements of the lmp do mm. so they're kind of hamstrung in their response definitely um and it's really interesting that the greens are seen as the supporters of you know merkel's decision to take in the refugees and, yes and all this kind of stuff and i think that's what's driving it but they're still going to administer decline and so, like, if we think then, if we're coming back to the Australian context, so if we're, we're coming to the pointy end, because I think this is a really good place for us to then just to pivot back to the Australian context, because we started off, like, this was the purpose of the show, because, like, we've seen these um, kind of glorified sort of um, a- appellations to to the German Greens and to the Austrian Greens. And I was at the National Conference of the Greens a few months ago, and that was definitely sort of like Richard... Richard Di Natale's kind of speech at the start of conference was like, look, our German Greens moment is coming, et cetera, et cetera. I think this is really good just to kind of get a sense of what what does that mean, right? Sure, like it could. Firstly, I don't think it will, um, not with the current strategy we have, partly because of the way um, the working, like because of specific social and economic condi- conditions in Australia. But even if it did happen in Australia, for to what end? For what politics, right? For like what, what does that, if the current, framework of the greens gets this massive surge in in a in the vote does is that necessarily um what you know like the the a good a good thing what does that do what does that do for for the movements what does it do for ordinary people (laughs) yeah well and i think and this is where you know we've we've hinted at it and uh um we've like talked about it sort of in a roundabout way uh this whole this you know the whole show but like, I mean, we may not have a completely coherent plan, but we certainly have an alternative strategy for relating to the contradictions in Australian society and economy. One, Robbie, I think you mentioned that concept of anti-establishment and establishment, that like proposing an economic agenda in particular, Nicole, you mentioned before the failure of that sort of, I would call it NGO sector actually, in the ability to engage um, with economic conditions is like an alternative radical economic plan that represents a major break, not just with the political status quo, but the stat- with, with the declining and disintegrating hegemony of neoliberal, neoliberal economics. One that coalesces around new forms of public ownership, major wealth redistribution, and um, irreversible transfer of power and wealth towards the working class. And I think this is one of the really interesting questions. We probably can't get into it tonight, but what constitutes then the Greens Coalition? potential Greens coalition, if this strategy is pursued also with, you know, organising within civil society and going into those communities. Uh, you know, as an aside, over the summer, well, it's over the winter read um, the history of the Italian Communist Party, and I've mentioned it to you in person, but the concept of the Castle de Popolos, you know, these houses of the people where this moment of like low literacy and high levels of rural alienation in um, Italy, these organisations stepped in 
run by the Italian Communist Party and provided it alternative places for being and of being in society and organising society. And I think there's a real opportunity for the Greens to go in that direction using the parliamentary resources that Robbie mentioned. It's nuts that we don't do that already. And, I, you know, I think we're starting to get in that direction. And I think for me then the, the coalition starts to look much more sort of like I think the working class coalition in the inner city, uh, there's a lot of talk about the sort of like middle class nature of the Greens. But I think any one of us who knows door knocking around, even in places like Griffith, it's the how, more rundown houses and the more working class areas that are more likely to have green signs out the front of them than, than Labor ones. And I think extending that out into suburban and regional Australia around this sort of radical agenda, picking up that anti that sense of anti-politics becoming the anti-establishment party is our, is our alternative strategy. Like, I, you know, um, and it was something that we've all alluded to tonight. And getting people elected who are who are committed to that and committed yeah. to the idea that you use your parliamentary resources to, to do those things. Yeah. And then actually engaging in, I guess, some of the stuff that, like, I, you know, our senators do is a fucking waste of time. Yeah. And a waste Not of all free. of it. Not all of it, but I think people spend, a l- like, way too much time and resources of their offices going into, like, I guess, like, minutiae stuff around legislation yeah. or p- introducing bills that, don't necessarily even have a political use either. Like there's just so much stuff that gets pushed out of those offices and so much time the like those resources are spent on or also just propping up personalities as well. That needs to stop. And we need to start getting people elected who are willing to divert their resources towards things that are going to both build like our power within the community but also build the community's power. It's yeah, like, I think Bernie's line. Bernie's line that he's the he's like the chief political organizer, the organizer yeah. in chief, organizer in chief. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. And I think we should actually it'd be worth doing a future show on MP on like par, parliament M- MPs as organizers, or yeah. not even the individual, but the concept of an of a MP's office as a resource center and organizing base. Yeah, um, I think would be very interesting and useful, and like maybe we can. Um, you know, relate some of the experience of Jono in doing that. And yeah, for sure. Some of and and there are some examples, like, you know, like I think one was Adam Bant down in Melbourne organising social housing tenants uh, in Melbourne to get actually just improvements in their homes. And some of the booths now around those social housing areas, like, enormous i don't actually know but it's like 50 or 60 percent it's crazy and people and it meant also that adam was able to go to um during the marriage equality debate and he tells this amazing story of going to this like i think largely sudanese community actually quite socially conservative in some ways and he's like the same way i fought for you around social housing and um and around against racism we need to fight for um lgbti people and their right to be married and he ended up in his community. You wouldn't expect it to get really high yes votes, um, post-marriage votes, speaking of that sort of coalition. And I think the other example was, um, you know, during the Queensland state election campaign, some brilliant organisers, like really some of the best organisers I've ever seen out of Larissa's office working um, with first and second generation immigrant communities. Do you mean federal election? Federal election. Yeah. So what did I say? You said state election. Ah, sorry, yeah. yeah. Federal election. So just the most recent one this yeah, year. The yeah, the most recent one. Um and like I was there, it was like two weeks out from the election, it was a packed hall um, for um, the iftar dinner. The iftar dinner, yeah. and you know, it was it was just incredible. And and it speaks to the potential of that. You're right, Nicole. Though it hasn't been done at a systematic level at all, and that's where all the poor are for it. But um, you literally could just 
we probably shouldn't name names, but you could just like hire people like those people and pay them to do that work and to give them the resources that they need because the results that they got in such a short period of time, and I'm not actually even sure that like both of them were on the payroll. I think like one of them was a volunteer as well in that circumstance. And they just did this incredible organizing work that was like creating like actual deeper community connections as well. Um, The stories around like, just because of because of those connections how many people like they got on booths and shit for the greens as well yeah so it has electoral positive outcomes not just like but also i think that stuff so i think talking about the history of of the greens and the the cautionary tales of capitulations and all this kind of stuff can often be quite depressing um and also i think lead and i think this is like one of the key hurdles for I guess a strategy um, is this idea that well they'll always sell out this the, you know the iron law of oligarchy that any organisation becomes hierarchical applied to a political party any political party that comes that grows and gets into parliament will you know be absorbed by the state political system and of course they'll sell out but I think I think what you know is that when you look at that happening there's a series of political battles that were won by certain so that were won by one mm. side or another which led to obvious outcomes and i think that's where you know you get down to that like we're talking about the organizing and that you get down to that basic work that has to happen because that's ultimately how you win those battles um by doing that organizing by doing that work by doing the you know admin work of a party sec of a branch secretary just, oh. just, just and i think you know the, just you know the, so the, the ultimate un- sacrifice. Unrewarding, you know. Yeah, yeah. So it's probably a, a good time to leave it there. Cautionary <laughs> tales of capitulation, heroic tales of green secretaries, <laughs> and uh, an important work to do around organising. I think we can probably leave it there. Is it- yeah, yeah. I, I think. I think, but I think I, I would just. I'm going to have the last word. No, I'm going to try to have the last word. Um, I, I think probably what's what is unique though in our moment is that there's openings there that weren't, and I think Robbie was sort of saying that like it's different now than it was in 1992. There are openings now, and the Corbyn and Sanders phenomenon and stuff like this. There are massive openings, um, and it's evident that there are massive openings in Australia for this kind of work, um, and for a democratic socialist sort of you know green politics. Um, and so, you know, I think it's going in with, with your eyes open about the, all the possible, f- you know, potential failings that might, you know, that could arise if you, if you, you know, lose those internal battles. But knowing that the possibility is there, I think, is probably the starting point because I think there's a lot of our, you know, the people that we work with every day or who, you know, who come volunteer with the Greens and stuff. I think there's probably a sense of, we, you know, that the party needs to give that hope needs to say, actually, yeah, look, it can happen in Australia and it's going to look like this. So there you go. And actually, if you are listening to this show, uh, if you're in Brisbane or if you're around Australia, our personal preference would be if you hold this sort of politics, you think this is the way to change Australian society, get involved in your local Greens branch. Start pushing for this sort of politics. Come and get involved in Brisbane or Queensland if you, I presume, most of our listeners around there. Um, because as Liam said, there is a real moment and an opening. And over the next few weeks, we're really excited. The other thing is we should plug uh, uh, before we go, next Thursday, 
Uh, we mentioned briefly Labor building neoliberalism, something we never talk about. Thursday the 17th of thurs- October. Yep, Thursday, might listen yeah, to yeah, this yeah, that's podcast true. at any time. No, they only listen to it now. Um, th- Thursday. <laughs> They're <laughs> waiting for it, Nicole. God. Yeah, yeah, good. Um, Thursday, you're right, Nicole. Thursday the 17th of October at 6.30 p.m. at the Morrison Hotel, Elizabeth Humphreys will be speaking about her book, How Labor Be- Built Neoliberalism. We're co-hosting it with Living the Dream. Uh, we're uh, really excited because this is our first uh, IRL event. Uh, as Nicole said, you can come and yell at us in public about how we're wrong about the accord. But most importantly, you'll actually get to hear from the expert. Uh, and we're really looking forward to it. We're looking forward to seeing you there. And thanks very much for listening to the show. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Bye. Word. <laughs>